Welcome to Her Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is usually a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. But in these special bonus episodes, we are talking about the His Dark Materials TV series on BBC and HBO. Beware, these episodes are not spoiler free and may contain spoilers for the original HDM trilogy. So if you haven't read them all, pop back when you're all caught up. This week, we are discussing Season 2, Episode 6, Malice. Hello! Hello! Oh, it's been a day for me, Rich. It's been a day. It sure has. Everybody do a big virtual hug in Faye's direction because she's had an absolute day of it. (laughs) I've had quite the day. I went to Morrison's for a spot of shopping and somebody stole my phone and she was halfway through listening to a philip pullman interview i truly was i'd finally gotten around after like more than a year of rich telling me about the adam buxton interview with philip pullman i'd finally got around to listening to it i was messaging rich about it and then put my phone in my pocket and then it was gone and the reason why i noticed is because the podcast had stopped and i was like hmm i wonder why the podcast has stopped Went into my pocket and my phone was no longer there. The Bluetooth phone connection, much like the demon-human connection, had been severed. (laughs) (laughs) My connection with my phone had been severed, absolutely. (laughs) Do you feel a little bit demonless without your phone as well? I do a bit, which is a bit upsetting, isn't it? Like you never wanna like you never wanna say that you're that attached to your phone, but like when it actually comes down to it we pretty much are and yeah it was just a big horrible like anxiety stressful day of like realizing it was gone and then having to like phone insurance companies and like phone providers and the police and all that kind of shit so needless to say i did not get all the stuff done that i wanted to get done today but luckily i made notes on the episode before i went out to morrison's (laughs) oh yeah good Before we get into the episode, we just want to scream down the microphone at you about the fact that we just spoke to Lima Well Miranda about his role in the TV series, and it was very, very exciting and kind of a dream come true. <laughs> yeah, we did. It was so great. It was wonderful. He was the nicest person. I've never been as nervous in my life as the 10 minutes before. I mean, I was nervous days before, but like the 10 minutes when Rich and I were sat waiting for him to appear i honestly felt like you could hear my heart through the mic i was like rich can you hear my heart can you hear my chest (laughs) it was so nerve-wracking but he was so lovely and like put it put us at ease straight away and it was basically just like chatting with a friend which is absolute madness to say about a friend who's also a massive hdm nerd which was glorious yeah lovely We did get very spoilery in that conversation, so you guys won't be hearing it until the new year, but we're very excited to share it with you then. (laughs) Yes, 4th of January. You might have seen on social media that we announced that, but just in case you don't follow us on there or use social media, yeah, the Lynn interview will be coming out on the 4th of January. And we're so eager that we've already edited it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just going to be listening to it on repeat, uh, especially the part where he says, fantastic question. Oh my God. Oh, highlight of my life. <laughs> I know, I know. Oh, so great, so great. Faye, mm-hmm. what kind of snacks did you have this week? It's really, I did that thing again where I didn't have any snacks, but <gasps> I know, but I will say that my eating habits have been so terrible recently. 
I just can't be bothered to cook anymore. That I just keep ordering takeaway. So last night I had a burrito. It was amazing. I love burritos. But I just feel like I should start being a bit kinder to my body. But also I really cannot be asked to cook. Yeah. I just had a bloody massive curry. (laughs) So I can't really talk either. And then a slice of chocolate fudge cake. Because I made a really good chocolate fudge cake. I've been... Somebody, I think years ago, gave me like a a goo chocolate recipe book and it's just been sitting on a shelf for ages and I finally like gotten it out because I've just been, it's been winter, it's been crap weather, it's been comfort food season, we've been trapped indoors, all I've wanted is like massive chocolate fudge cakes and so over the past couple of months I feel like all I've been doing is like melting chocolate and butter in a massive bowl (laughs) and turning it into cakes. (laughs) But this one was like, gluten-free and flour-free so it was just like it was chocolate butter sugar and egg and that was it and yeah it it comes out as like a really dense little cake that's like really light and and like moussey almost but like very nice but very very small flat cake very tasty i am dark chocolate now this is it i've eaten so much dark chocolate in the past few weeks because it's just been my go-to comfort baking food. I haven't baked anything. I don't, I'm not really a baker. I can make one thing and it's peanut butter and chocolate cookies and they are great. And they're delicious, yes. (laughs) I don't really do much else in the baking department. I love to eat Rich's baked foods when I can, when I'm allowed, but yeah, I'm not really a baker. And I need to get on my snack game a bit better because I do love a snack, but sometimes when we're watching it, I'm like, Oh, I'm all settled in now and I can't be asked to go to the shop and I don't have anything in. Yeah, and also, like, you can't miss looking at the screen and being riveted by what's going on to, like, sort out snacks midway through. However, you know, I have been known to be late while fixing myself a massive hot chocolate, so (laughs) (laughs) I really am not one to talk. (laughs) It's okay, we'll forgive you. We'll forgive you. Good. (laughs) Well, shall we get into talking about this episode? Oh my god, yes, let's do it. The previously on is essentially just a rundown of all the most intense stuff that has happened this season and how much you should have loved it. And we did. Yes, we did. We did. Thank you. Yeah. I will say my Twitter snooping has paid off again that it is Jack Thorne tweeted that it is a two part finale, which is interesting because I didn't really know that and kind of I've just been viewing them as like episode seven, episode six and episode seven when episode seven comes out. But it makes sense for how it ends because it does end on quite a bit of a cliffhanger for it to be like a little two-parter. It's called Malice. And this is a tiny, 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 tiny spoiler for La Belle Sauvage. So maybe skip forward like 10 seconds if you don't want anything from La Belle Sauvage. But in La Belle Sauvage, there is a line that says, if that monkey had a name, it would be Malice. And that that is why this episode is called Malice. I love that. I love that. Also, another thing that I saw on Twitter is that uh, Jack confirmed... Do you know, we had a conversation last week um, because a listener on Twitter tweeted us about the monkey having a name in the subtitles. Jack confirmed that they never named the monkey and the subtitles have nothing to do with them and they made the choice to not name him. And Jack was saying that in the script, whenever they wanted to refer to him, they just put, like, Golden Monkey in, like, capital letters. Nice. I'm glad I'm glad about that, actually. Good. Thank- well done. Well done, I- working out that confirmation because yeah it would have changed it for me if in all the scripts he had a name and we didn't know what it was or when we do find out what it is it's not what we thought we like it 
It's interesting that we start with Ruta and Serafina looking at the angels and then Ruta like flying off to be with them to find Azriel. She just fucks off. She just fucks off. We don't get any angels like we do in the book. They look very pretty from afar, but that's kind of it, isn't it? We can't say for next episode, but I think that's it. I don't I don't think we're going to get angels, but it kind of makes sense because if you mentioned if you remember when we um interviewed Russell we asked him about angels and he was a bit like, uh, I can't remember what he said, but it made it sound like they hadn't done, they hadn't visualised any angels yet, which makes sense because we haven't had angels in this season. And if we had angels in this season, he wouldn't have been able to answer that question. So it does make sense, like in retrospect, that we're probably not going to get any angels. Yeah, I think he played it off as being like, I can't tell you about season two now, but actually it was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> And they decided to fuck off the exposition horse people that we met in that chapter and just had the witches do it instead. Yeah. I mean, fair enough. The witches are pretty knowledgeable. It's weird that they didn't really know about angels in the book, so it makes sense to just have them know about angels. It saves a lot of time. (laughs) I mean, I am a little bit sad that we... That means that we'll miss out on that scene, especially when, like, with Serafina picking up the little boy after the adults have been, like, spectred and that kind of, like, really heartbreaking shit that we've just got through in the books. But I totally understand why they didn't do it. It would have been too much to introduce, like, a new group of characters now in episode six. God, it keeps the cast list really small as well. (laughs) I feel, again, yeah, I feel like it's like logical streamlining, like clever money spending in the production as well in terms of like, did did we really need that for the essential storyline that is essentially getting Will and Lyra wherever they need to be? Not necessarily. It was more, it was more Phil's world building, which we're doing far more visually because it's a TV series. So we don't need to do the same thing. It's like, "Eh, fair enough. Okay, sure. Yeah, totally. We get a lot more of the witches. We do. And can I say... Ruta Gedmintas, I uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, who plays Serafina. She is beautiful as Serafina. She has been gorgeously lit this season. Like, well done, director of photography, because there's been some really beautiful lighting and uh, just like a sculpture. <laughs> she looks stunning. And it's nice to see, obviously, we kind of d- don't see much of Ruta this episode, really, apart from the beginning, but it's nice to see some of the other witches like coming through to the forefront a little bit like the is it two other witches that are with seraphina i think yes so that's nice to see with the scene where there's like will and lyra and the witches i feel like will and lyra looked really small and young yeah you kind of forget how young they are till you put them with adults in scenes (laughs) yeah seraphina just tasting will's wound as you do just like hmm it's not poison oh god i completely kind of missed that i think she's like looking at his hand which looks amazing by the way i love all the like gory shit that they've done to his hand and did you see amir's tweet that i sent you yeah so he's holding up his little sfx glove (laughs) yeah it was really cool so in that has it have they like bent back his fingers and like taped them down so it felt like they taped down his fingers put like green on them so that they could edit the like lump out um, and then the rest of the glove was like practical and they could cut it off kind of thing if that makes sense yeah i think they'll do it in different ways for different scenes as well because sometimes i can imagine them just not bothering and just putting a couple of green glove tips on the fingers so you can just edit them out completely rather than him bothering to bend them but for that specifically i guess because we're focusing in on on the actual wound sites it get quite achy and painful to have your like especially 
Because like the two fingers on the end of your hand, I always feel like they want to follow what your other fingers do more easily. It's quite hard to have them like taped down for like a prolonged period of time without them feeling a bit achy. And... I think they've done quite a good job with that because they've just, in the way that they've bandaged him up, his bandages are huge. So he probably is relatively comfortable in his bandaging. It's just for those like close-in shots with the actual injury. So I also saw on Twitter, because I'm just the queen of Twitter apparently, when they're doing the spell for Will, which I really love that like, and I know that this is part of the books as well, the witches have business of nature. I love how they've like visualised that. They're very like earthy, like everything they do is, is like bound to the earth and like all that kind of stuff, which I really like. Apparently the spell that they do is uh, Lithuanian and they're saying, I don't know how to pronounce this, it's spelled P-E-I-L-I-S and it means knife in Lithuanian. So that's one of the things that they're saying when they're like doing the spell, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, love to see it, and I love the yeah the witch's spell vibes. I really adored the moment when Seraphina was like, "I just need to go and collect some lichens," and walked off, and it was like, "Yes, <laughs> that feels like me on a regular basis." I just need to go and get some moss. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I like um, her disdain for Azriel as well when she's like, "Azriel knows what a witch looks like. He doesn't need to be looking in a fucking book about it." Yeah. <laughs> I find, especially because we need to address the fact that this is the first time Lyra is meeting Serafina, technically. Is Serafina showing up on a rooftop to save them from the kids? Where does Serafina get the audacity to assume that she gets to be more familiar with Lyra than Will, who's technically known her? For, I mean, they're, obviously Lyra's met Serafina's demon, and in the books they have a they've met multiple times and they trust each other loads, but Lyra's like trusting so much in Serafina, almost more so than Will when in the TV series, she's only just met her. And it seems really odd that Serafina has this like, feels that she has this claim over Lyra that Will somehow doesn't and that he's the interloper. And so actually that, that doesn't feel right for this series for me. It makes me feel like Serafina's really overstepping a boundary. Yeah, I know what you mean. I... I see that too. I think from the other side of it with Lyra, I think it's just because Lyra loves witches yeah. <laughs> and knows about witches and like Will doesn't and she's trying to be like, we can trust her kind of thing. But yeah, on the other side of it, Serafina comes in. She is a bit like, she's a bit mean to Will in that sense. But I don't know, like, does it feel like, it must feel to Serafina like she has met Lyra, right? Because Kaiser's met Lyra and that's a part of her. Yeah, and I think it is obviously like a if my demons met you, I've met you kind of situation. But equally, yeah, just for the casual viewer on the screen, it's like, hang on a minute. Why is she suddenly putting so much faith in this person? She doesn't know. And then also Serafina says some things that don't gel well with me, like we're going to take you to my world where we can hide you. We can protect her there. Fine. We can hide her. And like that immediately gives me like warning bells, like warning things. It's like, How's about we don't try and hide Lyra away from the world? Because that sounds like the perfect way to fuck somebody up. Like, let's not do that. Let's just let her do her. Which I'm glad that when Lyra then insists she's got another job to do that Seraphine is willing to support her on it. But her like initial instinct to like bundle Lyra away. I get where it's coming from, but I don't I it sets off alarm bells for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree, I agree. I think that like I'm I mean, it seems natural to kind of move on to talking about Will and Lyra, because we're talking about the witches. But I love Lyra interrogating Serafina with like loads of questions. Like, is it true you can do this? Is it true? I know that you don't feel the cold, like blah, blah, blah. And like, she like jumps next to her and she's like a monkey. 
and it's really cute. And that's again like kind of reminds me a lot of Book Lyra, and she full names her a lot, which um, yeah, which very Book Lyra move. <laughs> yeah, and and she says this is just like from my that triggered in my memory. She says. Um, I know you can hear whispers on the wind and it just it's a lyric in uh, Dreaming on the Bus by Jenny Owen Youngs and it just triggered that in my in my mind and I was Aww. like oh, okay okay <laughs> cute I had, do you know like when something triggers something in your brain and you don't realize what it is and it's there for ages and you're like I was like googling it and nothing came up and then it came to me and I was like of course of course nice <laughs> nice we're doing a little Lyra and Will run through if we go right back to the beginning just Will struggling so hard that whole thing of like being by somebody's bedside when they're clearly like very unwell very in pain and lyra's sitting there and she's got her jug of water or she's gone to like get a jug of water and she's being very very caring for the lyra especially for book lyra but for the lyra that we know who's it's not necessarily her first instinct and i really like to see that and then just the intensity of will in his like absolute fever dream state and having all those flashes through very Buffy the Vampire Slayer prophetic dream vibes very like your destiny is calling do you think that part of those dreams are Joppery trying to reach Will as well yeah love it (laughs) yeah because he's seeing like outlines of him and also hearing his voice in a way that he's saying important things so yeah it's a bit of both right a bit of like Will having a prophetic dream and uh, Joppery trying to reach will as well yeah angelica and paula should be in a horror film because when they're like standing in the alleyway and they're like lyra it's like ah they're gonna get you and i love it i love that bit so much they filmed it like a horror film as well which i really appreciated so like you see lyra drop the jug of water you see some feet running along you see like Lyra hiding and peeking out from the door and looking away and then when she looks back they're right there such classic horror tropes and I fucking love that they went that way because it just seems like it didn't seem out of place at all I think it fit but it seemed like a bold move for them and not really something that they've done before and to go from there with Angelica and Paola to where we end up with them being very sympathetic is a lovely move as well (laughs) Lyra and Will seem very easily to like climb up through that hatch was there a ladder there that i missed because i 100% would not be able to lift my entire body weight up through a hatch from like where you can only just reach it they are the strongest yeah i've got like a terrible upper body strength so i can't even imagine doing that at all i'd just be dead yeah yeah i would be paula would have beat me up with a stick and it would have been horrible but then they find the stairs and run around them anyway the rest of them so it was really pointless yeah (laughs) but like Bella Ramsey again she's so so good I would say that she's probably one of the best child actors in this in this series so far and also the actress that plays Paula which we think is pronounced Ella Shrey Yates or Yeats is amazing she's so beautifully creepy if that's like a way to say it the way that she speaks to Will and Lyra she's got such a stubborn jawline as well I just I love it yeah and just really intense eyes and like, I love that she doesn't she doesn't get a lot of lines Angelica slash Bella Ramsey gets a lot of the lines but Paula's always there and she's always really intense in the background and I feel like it's a really lovely chemistry between the two of them and you can really I really love that they chose to make them Angelica and Paula instead of Angelica and Paolo and I think the like sisters in it together different levels of intensity from the both of them works beautifully and i'm yeah i'm really glad about how much screen time they've had it's working out wonderfully for them we like it we love to see it we do 
one thing that I would like to point out as well is that Will clearly hasn't had time to do Lyra's hair this episode. His hand, no. maybe his hands hurting him too much. That's what somebody said in the Discord chat. It definitely adds credence to our theory that Will is doing Lyra's hair because her hair is messier when he's feeling worse and more ill. So I love the like Lyra immediately trusting of the witches, Will not sure, the conversation they have where Seraphine asks about the knife. Like, what does it cut? And Lyra says everything and Will says nothing at the exact same time. And it's just a really lovely little moment. I love how they scripted it. I love how that like immediately kind of shows their they're so on the same page and then also on different pages about Seraphina. Lyra and Will have a really nice emotional conversation where Lyra says to Will about the little angry mob that the Beauty and the Beast style uh, angry mob of kids. Uh, I've never seen children act like that before. And then Will says, I have, which is a direct quote from the books. And it's from when the kids are terrorising the car. And just like Will talking about his mum and being bullied because of his mum. Oh, my heart. I just can't take it. I just can't take it. And then my other point there was also, you two are important and you know that you're important. Don't sit on the edge of a fucking cliff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Don't just be doing that. You could fall off at any minute. And then what would happen? Don't be doing that. And they have a really cute moment on that cliff where Will's like, I couldn't trust anyone. And then Lyra says, until you met me. And he does like a little a little shy little look away before he looks back and says yes. Oh. She's just fishing for compliments, but we love to see it. Absolutely, yeah. 100%. <laughs> it's like the closest they've gotten so far to being flirty as well in that kind of way. Like... It's very much, it's quite a platonic flirt, but it is there. That kind of like jokiness. It's very cute. Yeah. We see one of the witches almost get spectered, which is quite brutal in like the same sense of uh, what we were talking about the other week about just how the spectres get people is pretty brutal. And then Will with the knife. That was another like horror movie jump scare moment because like they're walking really slowly through these like quite claustrophobic like gullies in the rock. Then yeah, suddenly there's a spectre and like the way that the spectre's like moved over her body and it almost looked like boiling smoke, if that makes sense. It just, it looked really cool and was kind of different to how we'd seen spectre attacks previously portrayed. They'd like changed it up a bit and it was really good. And yeah, Will just like brandishing the knife, <laughs> like waving it around. You can't just wave that around willy nilly. <laughs> what I think we should do before we get into our most likely most intense part of this conversation, because obviously we love a Colter moment, is perhaps cover the mandatory mundane magisterium scenes oh boy <laughs> we don't want to finish on that note so let's just do it <laughs> i don't even know what i wrote down about it like i can't even really remember oh god it's fucking fra pavel needs to fucking spit it out i think that's the only thing that that is... i wrote down yeah <laughs> oh my god fra pavel just fucking spit it out it annoyed the fuck out of me the back and forth between them just went on like a little bit too long and like the fact that you don't i know that they've done it on purpose you don't even get to hear him say the name yeah exactly oh my god it was like a sick joke (laughs) it's kind of it's quite nice that they've kept it to just two relatively short scenes with the magisterium because then we cut to speaking of failure cardinal mcphail (laughs) just instructing the entire magisterium that their new top priority is Lyra Balakwa. To kill a child, sure. To just kill a small child who is just trying to live her goddamn life. 
Also just must have been really fun slash weird for Daphne's dad to be like, now, massive institution, attack my daughter. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, you're so right. <laughs> Although he has done it before, hasn't he? Because when we spoke to Daphne, she was like, oh, the last thing I was in, like... They were in a film where he murdered her. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> she used to, she's just used to it now. She's like, yeah, great. Another day at work. But yeah, we get to see he's... There's more of a pointed goal from the magisterium and it is all directed at our Lyra who they crack out a bunch of super great vaguely misogynistic stuff about just blaming women for the fall of mankind and for the sin and we're all we're just a bit done with it and it's all very magisterium-y and thanks for our mandatory magisterium moment. (laughs) I will say that just to go back to Fra Parvel I think this was my, as much as it annoyed me, it was my favourite moment for him because he made it quite funny in a way, like, especially when he was like, oh, like, you've become the cardinal at such a burdensome of times. <laughs> oh, how hard for you that you're the most powerful man in the world. <laughs> yeah, and I did think he did uh, a very good job, but I was just like, please, please just fucking spit it out, mate. Get to the point, please. Yeah. Okay, now, now, as you said, now we've done the mandatory magisterium talk. You have a choice between two excellent duos. Would you like to talk about Lee Scoresby and Joppery, or would you like to talk about Mrs. Coulter and Boreal? I, so my order of, of what I think it should be <laughs> is, I think we should end on Coulter and Boreal. I think we should talk about, we, haven't, we need to talk about Mary. Oh yeah, oh my god. So maybe let's talk about Mary, and then we'll do... Lee and Joffrey, and then Boyle and Coulter. Oh, God. Okay, yes. Just writing a recipe for an excellent episode. Mary, 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 we love you, Mary. Please, can we have a hug too? Oh, my God. <sighs> Mary and her Tupperware when she sat on the step. She's so well oh, prepared so for prepared. adventure. I love it so and much. And yet so, like, casual about it. I love it. I love it. I loved listening to her, like, reading that passage out from the I Ching and, like, just how miffed she was by the entire thing it kind of sounded like something like yeah you can read into that something that applies to mary's situation if you've read the books and you know where she's going but if you don't like mary doesn't she's just like great cool could i (laughs) i love comparing her to like mrs coulter because she's dressed so sensibly for her adventure whereas and she's got a tupperware she's got food she's got books whereas like coulter's just wandered in with nothing and Boreal's carrying the backpack and who knows if like... And it's the smallest backpack. Yeah, exactly. Like, so whatever's in there, it, she is not prepared. And it's just interesting to compare the two and also love the two because I'm so here for like Mrs. Coulter's amazing outfit and but also Mary's preparedness. I feel like it's the adventuring techniques of an introvert and an extrovert. Mary's an introvert and she wants to have everything that she could possibly need with her so that she can avoid having to talk to other people. Mrs. Coulter is like, well, anything I need, I'll just get somebody else to give to me by talking to them and persuading them that I'm the best person in the world. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That's so right. I would definitely be Mary in that situation. Yeah, I would. Well, you know me. I carry a mum kit wherever I go. You do. You truly do. Got a little zipper bag and it's got plasters and lip balm and... (laughs) tampons and just everything all <laughs> oh, yes. if we're out anyway i will always ask rich because i don't i suppose like i'm more of a even though i relate more to mary in the situation of like going out and being prepared i'm much more of a colter because like 
I just don't like to carry stuff with me. I prefer if I if I don't need to take a bag, I prefer not to have a bag. So if I ever go out with Rach, I'm always like, Rach, have you got the? Have you got some? Like, have you got tissues? Have you got plasters? And she's always like, Yep, here you go. I've always got everything. <laughs> but then I've grown up as somebody that had constant regular nosebleeds, and so I can't. I physically cannot leave the house without knowing that I have a tissue on me somewhere. But even though I don't get them anymore, it's like... It's just ingrained in your brain from years of having to do it. Yeah, must be prepared. <laughs> I know I say this every week, but again, Mary's warmth and kindness with uh, Paula and Angelica, it's really emotional to see, I suppose, Paula and Angelica be kids. Like, they're, they're in the presence of an adult, so they've immediately gone back to being children again and they are children obviously but they've obviously had to grow up because they're living without adults and to be with her and immediately be like please stay with us like we need someone to tell us to to get baths and like can I have a hug and I just did you see how like high she was standing on a little tippy toes as well to reach Mary when she hugged her she was like full on on the tip of her toes and it was so cute yeah oh I love their little facial expressions when they're like kind of peeking over that wall at Mary and uh, Paula's eating some random berry. And then they kind of like, you see the ever so slight shimmer of uh, something that looks suspiciously like an angel wingy type thingy. And just they're kind of, you can see them kind of having this realisation that there's an adult. She's not scared. How is she safe? Oh my God, an adult that's safe. An adult that is safe to get invested in that's not going to get spectred. Like what is this and that immediate like we must attach ourselves to her because how can this be an adult that's safe to become invested in it's just like heartbreaking the shot that you just mentioned of mary sat on the little beach with the like slight shimmer of like angel wings on what looks like angel wings protecting her is one of the most beautiful shots of the entire season the way that like the light is done. It, I know it isn't dawn, but it feels kind of like dawn light, very like shimmery gold light on her face. Like you see her hair like ruffle slightly in like a breeze from the wings and it's so lovely. And I just want that as my new screensaver. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. It's so lovely. So lovely. When she offers... Because... Angelica and Paula are obviously like the same age as her niece and nephew so she's like offering them a sweet she's like oh it's terrible for you there's loads of sugar in it and like again just that's this put Coulter in that situation and the reaction would probably be quite different like I think Coulter reacting to a child asking to hug her would be because Coulter's safe from the spectres too so like Coulter reacting to a child being like you're safe to be around I want to hug you would be like what and like probably she'd be frozen by that level of intimacy like being shown to her or like that level of affection and then like mary having that is just like she is a warm hug like she exudes warm hugs and um it's like the polar opposite of the introvert extrovert comparison about how they pack is like how they would be approach or be welcoming or welcomed by children is completely different because we know that culture is like alluring and exciting and like captivating for children but I don't think that she's got like the lovely cozy warm auntie slash mum energy that Mary has because I think that Coulter is only captivating to children when she wants to be and when she turns it on but Mary has that kindness and warmth within her at all times so I think that Coulter would have been caught if if the situation was flipped and it was Coulter 
that the children found, she would have been caught a little bit by surprise. And I think that they probably would have just been scared of her. Or that she would have seen them and worked out a way to use them. And it would have just not been the same. But yeah, Mary, we love Mary. She even like offers to help the children. She says that she has a mission. Oh my God. When Angelica is like, oh yeah, Lyra, we know Lyra. We tried to kill her. Like, <laughs> Is that a bad thing? Mary's like, Was yes. that wrong? Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> she looks a bit like, oh, oh no. But then she's like, oh, I'm not being told off. And then it's just like, that's just how it is in our world. And like tries to be like stiff up a lip. I'm so tough. And then also at the same time, it's like, please, can you come and look after us and tell us to have baths? Mm. Do you know, one of the things that I've kind of just put together here that I think one of the reasons why I feel such a kinship to Mary is because they've positioned her as this uh, as this woman that doesn't have children. We don't know if she doesn't want children, but she's ob- she's an adult. I would say maybe like late 30s, potentially early 40s. Um, she hasn't got children. She hasn't expressed a want for children, uh, but she still really likes children. And I feel that deeply because like I don't want kids and I never have done, but I have always been quite good with children. And I think it's nice to show that you can be a woman who doesn't want kids, but still likes kids. Because I think a lot of the time they're like, the trope and the general like stereotype is if you're a woman and you don't want kids you must hate children and you must want to be alone forever and like that's not that's not how it is yeah that's not how that goes <laughs> she's the fun auntie that because she's not paying for all of the childcare expenses she can take you to disneyland and do the fun stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> oh mary we love you uh, we 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 do we love a mary but also mary's been taken from the path that she had been thought to be walking but equally she's been told something in the thing she was reading was mentioned a mountain and she's taking the kids to their grown-ups who are in the mountains so maybe she is going in the right direction we don't know but interesting like has she been taken off path or put on path bum, bum, bum. we don't know <laughs> i always think if i was ever in that situation do you know where it's like you've got a path to follow but you're not always sure whether you're making the right choice that would mess with my head and I'd just be constantly worrying about whether I was doing the right thing or not and I'd just be like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, absolutely paralysed. <laughs> totally. Cut to Lee Scoresby and Joppery. I'm so happy to see them again. Yeah, We didn't get we them last episode. last week. Uh, yes. And the boys and the balloon are back and we love to see it. Yes. Yes gorgeous perfect their interactions are brilliant Joppery is continuing to be a little bit of a fuck boy he is but like I think I've come around to it now like I really think that this episode like he's made me laugh with it more I feel like in that first episode when we saw him I was like you're being a bit of an asshole but now I'm like you're being a bit of a cheeky asshole and I quite like that (laughs) (laughs) I like my assholes to be cheeky I do I do I I'm obsessed with Lee calling Joppery Mr. Joppery. Mr. Joppery. Yeah, it's great. Some lovely conversations that they're happening. But just seeing Lee and Joppery in that balloon, that visual of the balloon flying towards the like gap between the worlds. And just as it's about to reach there, you just hear this really quiet, from Lee. And it's like, ah. I love Lee's proneness to like doing a 
Woohoo! In the face of danger, like when the Magisterium are like shooting at them, he does another one. Yeah. <laughs> it's so great. There's some great quotes from both of them this episode, especially my favourite one having to be, you have a strange way about you, Mr. Joppery. And then him saying, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was like, you're a shaman and like, you should be able to do other stuff. Uh, and you can't even fly. And he's like, I needed to fly. I summoned you. Here I am flying. So great. That's the like edge of that sense of humor that I am. I'm really loving. And then like the next bit, he has his little thing of like, Lee's trying to like light that fire. And he's like, hold on a minute. And he's just, you think that he's going to do like, ooh, something exciting. And then he does something really normal. And it's that classic like magic in like everyday moments. But when he like concentrates on the fire and then produces a book of matches and like, <laughs> you just see Lee like, gosh, shucks, you. you got me. Yeah. <laughs> you got me. And this is the thing, like, I don't know if it's because we are obsessed with shipping people that aren't a thing. But I did think, especially when they're in the balloon and they're doing like little things like that to each other, just kiss. Just have a little smooch. Yeah. Just the way that you kind of like tease somebody a little bit when you're flirting with them and like, yeah, just like kind of play a joke and maybe sometimes it doesn't land perfectly and you thought that you were going to do a brilliant joke and then they were a bit like, oh, are you joking? Oh, I don't know. And it's like a little bit awkward and uh, just kiss already. Yeah. Just kiss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I totally understand Lee's frustration with Joppery, especially when the Magisterium has started coming after them and Lee's like, we need to fucking do something because they've got massive airships and we're in this tiny ass balloon. And Joffrey is just like, yeah, what, whatever happens will happen. I trust you. I trust your abilities. And I would serve Lee in that situation. I'd be like, no, we need a plan. What is going on? Yeah. <laughs> I just say before that, when Joffrey's like, oh, I, I can't sleep. I haven't slept. I need to sleep or whatever. And Lynn's like, Lynn, <laughs> Lee is like, oh, can't sleep. That's fine. I'll make a coffee. What could coffee be? <laughs> Do you wanna go wanna go get some coffee? <laughs> Come back to my house for coffee. <laughs> oh God. I <sighs> fucking love those two. They're so great. I just feel like every scene with them throughout this episode is just japes and quips. Japes and quips are plenty. And then like drama, but then also like very well humoured drama because yeah, cutting to the magisterium chasing them and yeah, Lee is running around like, we need to do something, we need to do something. And Joppery just like, is like, oh yeah, sure, whatever, what do you need? And like, yeah, the sky is starting to darken, but he just like flips his hood up and laughs. I love that. I love that shot of him just putting his massive hoodie up. Oh, it's so great. Such a like nonchalant dickhead move, but also at the same time, it's like perfect because you know that he is doing something, but like he's just like, it's very self-aware. It's very self-aware and I love it. <laughs> it's the like mic drop of our times. <laughs> it really is. It really is. Oh, <laughs> oh no, Rich. Oh, uh, Rich tried to do the hood, put the hood up, but she knocked her. Not my headphones off. Wait, what we've learned here is that I can't be as cool as Joppery. Ah, <laughs> oh, fake oh, hand. Yeah. Your hood's big enough. There you go. We've put our hoods up now. We should do a screenshot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we don't get a lot of hester i kind of forgot that she was there for a while you don't really see her much i think she has like one or two lines and we don't really get a lot of joffrey's demon either yeah so far we've only heard phoebe Wallerbridge speak once mm. where's she at where is she at where is she at i have a bone to pick with joffrey in that sure 
the storm is great. Great job. The like lightning balloon zeppelin situation. Perfect. Who the hell do you think you are to summon a bunch of crows that are minding their own goddamn business <laughs> and force them to fly at a military airship it's to help you? A, a suicide mission. Yeah. They're not even from your world. They're not even your crows. <laughs> Who do you think you are? It's not even suicide. It's murder. Well, a murder of crows. That is the collective now. It is. He's murdering a murder of crows. He's murdering a murder of crows. He is. <laughs> I'm not okay with it. What gives you the right? Leave the birds alone. There's no way that all those birds survive that. And no, thank you. If you can use the weather, use the weather. Because the weather doesn't hurt when you manipulate it. Oh, justice for the crows. <laughs> poor, poor birds. That's the cliffhanger that we end on, isn't it? The balloon going down fast. Mm, something shoots a gasket, which I assume is an important part. Didn't you just say it? I thought it said gas canister. Oh, it might have been gas canister. Also a very important part. <laughs> Something to do with gas gets shot. Hester seems upset. That sounds seems to be the sign that it's definitely a bad. <laughs> yeah, and the balloon's going down, and that's where you can tell it's a two part finale because that's a very like fast paced thing to end on. Mm, very classic, like oh cliffhanger with like the balloon basket like going right at the camera as yeah. well. What I will say, which is probably a nice way to, if you don't have anything left to say about Lee and Joffrey, quite a nice way to segue into. Boreal and Coulter is there's a lovely shot which I missed the first couple of times I watched this and I only saw it this morning where Boreal's walking down an alleyway and you see the balloon in shot float past and it's so good I loved it one of my favorite things when it's done really well and least favorite things when it's done badly or extended for too long is that like missed connections thing in a story where you're like learning about the stories of like maybe five different groups of people and there's like a classic moment of it I think in Game of Thrones where someone's hiding in a windmill and somebody else that they know that could help them goes past but doesn't know they're there and they're hiding because they think they're dangerous or something it's a classic moment like that of like just an ever so slightly misconnection where like drama could have ensued if so-and-so would just look behind them. If it's done well, it's really satisfying. And if it's done badly or for too long, you're like, God damn, get people to meet. And you're like ready to flip tables about it. But uh, this was a great one. I loved it. It was such a beautiful shot as well. And just the slow drifting of the balloon. And you can just feel yourself being like, <gasps> yes. Hi, Lee. <laughs> Hi, Mr. Joppery. <laughs> yes. Uh, so brilliant. Good. Well. We've we've arrived at Boreal and Coulter. Coulter is dressed to either go riding or be in The Mummy. Like yeah. Brendan Fraser's The Mummy where, is it Rachel Weiss that's in it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, like that kind of vibe. Like I'm here to be wearing my car keys and excavate some ruins, thank you very much. Or like, yeah, Indiana Jones vibes of like, she's very much gone. What does one wear to go adventuring? Shall I shop at Monsoon or Per Una? <laughs> Perhaps the White Company. <laughs> but yeah, just very much that vibe. Very like, mom's going on an adventure a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love Boreal comparing the spectres to being severed. This might be like really... I don't know, just not clever of me, but I hadn't really drawn that comparison before. I know we'd like talked about dust and how dust affects kids and how the spectres don't affect kids uh, and how dust doesn't either. But yeah, I just hadn't thought about how it could compare to 
being severed from your demon. And Mrs. Coulter says that whatever's happened here to the people is much worse than being severed. And then she's like, oh, we could use this. And I'm like, you... We could learn from this. Yeah, we could learn yeah. from this. So sinister. Very sinister. I think I had kind of put it together in the past, but it's really lovely to kind of see it spelled out for us. Sinister. Sinister as anything. Mrs. Coulter going through an, apo- an apothecary or a pharmacy is everything just her like randomly picking stuff up and just being really intrigued like her hunger for learning and her curiosity is one of the like most beautiful things about her character but also the fact that it's got that sinister edge to it of her like she's not just wanting to learn to learn she's wanting to learn for power and we later find out that obviously in her little learning trip through the apothecary she found some very handy handy medicines Mm, she did (laughs) the noise specters mate reminds me of the monster from Cloverfield. Remember Cloverfield from 2007? It makes similar noises to the like guttural sounds of the spectres. It made me think of um, the squiddy things in Arrival. And also just it's all very under the sea, underwater, like when you hear a whale or something with echolocation like clicking from miles away underwater and there's like lovely and then you can also compare that directly to how the spectres are moving like they sometimes they look like the uh, bed sheet blowing in the breeze and sometimes they look like a drop of ink that's been dripped into water and is like swirling around and it's beautiful it's really lovely one thing that took me a couple of watch dues to pick up on properly was when mrs coulter starts to control the spectres what happens to the monkey so the monkey is like screaming and shouting and he's scared about the spectres. But then you see when Coulter says later to Boreal that she's suppressing what makes her human so that the spectres don't want to harm her. You see her look at the monkey and you see the monkey fall silent and just sit like really calm while she does that. And then you see him become um, active again when she's like finished doing that. Yeah, I really love that. Like you see her like mastering herself and like getting control over herself and you see the monkey like either be controlled by her or also controlling himself and like settling and mastering themselves and it was just like yeah really beautifully done and again ruth's fucking face Ugh. when she's there and the specters like literally getting right up in her face i'm intrigued to know how that was to act it out because is somebody there with like a ping pong ball on a stick like waving it <laughs> next to your face or have they just been like were they just like okay picture alien when the alien like sticks its tongue it's like right next to ripley's face and sigourney weaver is there and she's terrified but she can't move and she's trying to master her fear because she can't move and they're like picture that scene but then do it like on a sunny day and you're totally in control and it's like yes (laughs) yes yeah i mean i don't know how many times we're gonna we've mentioned ruth wilson's face acting but i will mention it again because you can see like the tiny like shivers of her face like the concentration on it and stuff oh. and by absolute contrast boreal running inside closing the door and then just locking it the little moment when he locks the door and you're like oh, you coward they're like I love it slow close of the door got me because it wasn't like he just slammed it shut and was like fuck he was like okay <laughs> i'm gonna stay in here you stay out there oh, love it so well done and his move from absolute terror and like generally being a bit frightened Coulter's derision for his fear is 
a whole other ball game as well when he's saying how like she's like you've come through here before and he's like oh I ran and she's like of course you did like she's got such a like derision for it and I'm I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that because like she, it's just that thing of she knows that she's not like any ordinary person and she does I think she does think that she's a lot better than other people and there is this moment with him as well where he's been a coward and he's hidden away from the spectres and she's kind of established her power and control and then it cuts to him suddenly like gaining back his confidence because he knows he's protected and then being like oh we're equals I see us as equals I'd love an equal partner in this and she her the level to which Mrs. Coulter is insulted by him thinking that they're equals because she knows how much better than him she is, is everything. And that entire interaction where he thinks that he's being seductive and she's playing it and playing along and using all of her power and he just doesn't know that he is in a trap. Oh, it's delicious to watch as a scene. It's a terrible thing that's happening, this man being poisoned, but it's so delicious to watch. Is it yes. that terrible? <laughs> Is it? Well, no, because he's been such a fuckboy the last episode. I loved that as well. Like, I loved the old switcheroo in a way that, like, Mrs. Coulter, like, he's, like, thinking that saying that they're equals is this, like, massive compliment, and she's like, oh, we're equals. And then you, like you said, you know how much that fucking riles her up. And there's just some amazing dialogue in this scene when Boreal is, like, visibly being poisoned and, like, starting to die. She says, your ambitions were small, they would have always ended here. Boreal, I don't need you, you'd only hold me back. You are not, nor you have ever been my equal. Boom! Chef's kiss big slow clap round of applause for Arian Bakari because he did a stellar job of dying not a slow clap we're not slow clapping him sarcastically we're giving him a very no we're like, giving I just mean like a really enthusiastic like it's going to build into like a really big round of applause yeah yeah yeah, yeah. sorry not like a oh well no like a big like <laughs> starting slow and building to an amazing crochet because like that was beautiful like just literally the shot where he the life has just gone from him and there's a single tear dripping down his face and the like afternoon slash evening sunlight on his face in that square is so beautiful and then you see his snake demon just drifting away oh it's it's beautiful so beautiful so beautiful the moment when you see like look at the snake and she's like writhing around is scary and like painful to watch and like there's just he goes through so many phases of like through that death and he just did an amazing job of that scene like well done Arian we love you and we are very sad to see you go definitely I I made a note to just say thank you Arian Bakari like you have played such an amazing Boreal for me he's transcended what we ever saw of Boreal in the books Uh, he's brought a new level of it and I just think it's astonishing what he's done with that role and I have loved talking about him every week and I'm sad to see him go, to be honest. But yeah, that that scene, like the music, the single tear, just so fucking beautiful. And I think as well that I liked, because some people in the Discord were saying that, because they do a tiny bit of a misdirect because you think that the monkey's going to go for the snake. And I like that it was done in a way that Mrs. Coulter, like, she hasn't lost control in that moment. It isn't like when the Egyptians were in her flat and she went full monkey and, and lost control. She's so in control. 
she is in control of everything around her and she's making this measured choice to murder Boreal. And it's not like out of like anger or anything in the moment. She knows that she's going to do it. And I think that's such a better way to do it. Mm. It's so cold and so calculated. And then she just goes on to drink like three bottles of wine next to his corpse and like enjoy the sunset in this beautiful square. Like she is on holiday. Right? How can she <laughs> hold that much wine? I have like two glasses and I'm fucking smashed. And there she is on like four bottles of wine. It's the line she says to the monkey. She knows it. She's like strength is salvation but i think also maybe she's talking about her alcohol (laughs) yeah i loved that obviously we see her mirror what the cardinal did with the flame in the hand and i loved that bit because like again a testament to ruth wilson you can see and tell that she's a little bit drunk she slurs her words very very slightly when she's talking to the monkey and also she never really talks to the monkey that's one of the only times we've seen her talk to it yeah yeah really beautifully done and really like that intensity and that ugh, what a beautiful like through plot for that bit of the episode as well Ugh, well done ruth well done and well done arian well done everybody this was a great episode <laughs> it really was what is i'm asking you what is the last uh episode called i know what it's called it's called asa hetra i can't believe that we're near the end and also just to upset everyone I did see another tweet from Jack Thorne. Somebody said to him, like, oh, I can't wait for, like, next Christmas for, like, season three if it gets picked up. And Jack was like, uh, even if it got greenlit tomorrow, it wouldn't be out until the Christmas after next because it takes a long, long time to make his dark materials. And although we kind of knew it anyway, like, we knew that we weren't going to get season three next year. There's just not enough time. It's still sad to think that we're going to, it's going to be two years I wonder where we'll be on our read-through in two years. We'll probably be on, like, La Belle Sauvage or Secret Commonwealth, right? Yeah. Which is quite exciting to actually have relatively recently. We'll, you'll find out exactly how goldfishy we are because we will have forgotten all the episodes where we've talked about them in depth by that point. So <laughs> that'll be fun. Oh, man. Yeah. Remember a few episodes ago when we were really worried that they wouldn't have time to get everything done? And now it feels like we've raced through so much in so little time and that everything has progressed so far. Everything has progressed like past the point of no return and we've got one episode to go and it's the second part of a two-part finale. Like, it's too much. I know, I know. <laughs> and they've done what they did in Northern Lights. If you remember the first season, we were like, there's so much to do and so little time. And they smashed it with that and they're going to smash it with this because there's still a long way to go for what we need to happen. Uh, if they're going to stick to what happens in the end of The Subtle Knife. But I can see how they're going to do it now in terms of like, I can, I can, I'm like, yeah, okay, I can see this happening. The amount of like very clever streamlining that they've done in ways that feel satisfying to watch is excellent. Well done, everybody. (laughs) This is your penultimate season two episode. Everybody have a big, like, deep breath in and deep breath out and settle yourselves for the fact that next week is the finale and then it'll be a new year and we'll have to wait a really long time, but we've got two seasons to binge watch in the meantime. It's all fine. We've got the books to, like, lean back on. We can, like, re-familiarise ourselves with the books and watch season one and season two all before season three comes out. It will be okay. That's true. (laughs) And hopefully we'll be able to speak to some people again that are involved in season two to kind of bring you some more tidbits and interesting information about season two so that it doesn't feel so far away. (laughs) Yes. 
Well, you get the Lynn interview in January. Everyone look forward to that. Woo! Yes! <laughs> As always, we are still running our leave us a review for a chance to win some free stuff giveaway. How you enter is you leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can leave a review, including Facebook, and screenshot that review and email it to us at her.materialspod at gmail.com. And that email with the screenshot in is your entry into a prize draw. When we get 50 of those emails, we will draw 10 names and those 10 names will get some super cool hdm pod merch as a reward don't forget to send us an email because that's how we find you in order to tell you that you've won something yes yes please say nice things give us five stars we really appreciate it yeah yes it really helps other people to find the podcast and we want to share the love we do we do Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at HDMPod. And you can email us at herdarkmaterialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. If you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rage. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm fit, and when I'm not talking about Arian Bakari's perfect performance, you can find me hanging out on Twitter and Instagram at Faily, which is F-A-Y-E-L-E triple Y. If you want to read some of my old blog posts, I'm on Medium at Faye.ducker. I'm Rachel, and when I'm not here chatting to you lovely folks about how much I want a hug from Mary too, I'm making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at RachMakes, on Twitter at Rach underscore makes, and in my online shop, RachMakes.co.uk. Huge thanks to Johnny Knott, as always, for his musical stylings. We'll see you in a week's time, and don't forget, keep telling stories, and all will be well. next week. Come on. <laughs>